Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 29. Listen as I read God's word. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day you're coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lords do not favor you. Therefore return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the Lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. The Philistines went up to Jezreel. Have you ever been caught in a lie? That's a question not just for the adults, but for the children, too. Maybe your parents have come to you, and they ask, are you the one that did this? And you say, no, no, it wasn't me. And then they ask you another question, and uh, they, they seem to have found you out. And what happens? Well, you tell another lie to cover up the first lie. And then they ask you a little further, and the lie starts to get bigger and bigger, and suddenly you're caught. And eventually, that lie is found out. Well, David was on the verge of being found out. David had been leading something of a double life. 
He was hiding from Saul, and he had convinced the Philistines that he couldn't go back there, and that he had defected and was now their ally. And David carried on this very cunning plot of going and conducting covert guerrilla operations. By day, he went and he raided Amalek, leaving a scorched earth policy and coming back home and lying to the Philistine Achish. He said he was raiding Israel. And King Achish was so glad about that that he made David his own bodyguard. But David couldn't keep this up forever. In fact, his lie comes to a head now in this passage because the Philistines were going to war with Israel. Now his life was in danger once again, but the matter runs a lot deeper than that. Not only was David's physical being in danger, but his compromise had placed him in a in in spiritual danger as well. The harm that he faced now was a choice of being caught in his lie and having his physical person being in jeopardy, being caught by the Philistines and probably killed, or to go and fight against Israel, God's covenant people, the very people that he was promised to be a king over, and that he was pledged to defend. He's between a rock and a hard place. His lie, his compromise had brought him into this position. And in this way, David becomes a different kind of example for us. Oftentimes in the story of David, we love to look at him and see the courage and the faith and the way that he represents Christ to us. I've often said that he prefigures and foreshadows our Savior Jesus, who is the one and only perfect and righteous king. But now, as one uh, theologian puts it, David is a typical wayward servant of God. He has made the classic mistake to which we are also uh, prone to do by attempting to lead a double life. He sought temporal salvation from the Philistines while he sought eternal salvation from God. And this compromise brings him into a very difficult circumstance. And for that purpose, we can think today of a very appropriate application You cannot lead a double life when it comes to your relationship with the world. You cannot compromise with the world. Let's begin by considering David's double life. Then we'll think about David's deliverance. First of all, David's double life. The author of the book of 1 Samuel really is a master in telling this history. He has woven together what is going on here. You might remember that he, in the last chapter, was looking at Saul, and now he's going back to David, and then he's going to go back to Saul, and 
all of this develops kind of a suspense in the story. It's building to a climax in the battle that's going to take David's life, or take Saul's life. And where is David all in the midst of this? And it fits in the overarching story of Samuel for the longing for a righteous king. And we've seen this contrast between Saul and David. Saul, who was a king that was like the people around, like the nations around. And David being raised up by God to be a king after God's own heart. But David is just a man. And so we have, we have seen already that while his faith shines through in many examples, that now, as in other circumstances, David's fear rules his life. And it's led him to compromise his principles and to try to hide amongst the Philistines, to hide from Saul by going to the enemy of God's people. And there he does something very cunning. We might say that he hides in plain sight. He's there right amongst his sworn enemies, the Philistines, but he convinces them with, a, with his lie, with his story, that he has actually switched sides. He's defected from Israel. And he can't go back to King Saul because he is raiding Israel. That's made him to be uh, public enemy number one. Well, he already was that with Saul, but not for the reasons that David was making it out to be. By day, he raided uh, not Israel, but raided Amalek, another lifelong enemy of Israel. And he came back and he told Achish, oh, yeah, 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 I, I went and I raided Israel today down in the southern regions of Judah. Look at this that I, get, I, I got. Look at all of, this, uh, all of this treasure that I'm bringing home. And here's tribute to you. And he covered it up very cleverly. But... Now, as the uh, combined lords of the Philistines have decided to go to war and to go to war against Israel, David is in a pickle. He was in a pickle because you can't live in this lie forever. And as I described in, uh, in my introduction, you when you compromise in one small area, you know how it is. That compromise opens the door to compromises in other areas. And that leads to further compromise. Or it's a lie that is told to cover up something you want no one to find out. And then when pressed, you tell another lie and another lie. And, and, and the situation grows and grows until you can't manage that compromise anymore. You can't manage that lie anymore. And David was in this type of such situation because Achish, as part of that Philistine uh, union, was now called to fight against Israel. And there's no place to hide now. I mean, he's right beside Achish as his bodyguard. They're marching in review of all of the princes of Philistia. 
And as Achish is there with them, the other lords of the Philistines say, wait a minute, what are these, what are these Hebrews doing here? We're fighting the Hebrews. And in fact, isn't that David? The very David that has been a thorn in our sides. The one that songs are made about. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. What is he doing here? And Achish defends him. David had hid in plain sight pretty well for Achish. He had convinced him that, yeah, he was, he was Achish's man. And, and he even says that to the other Philistine lords. He's been with me these days, these years. 16 months he's been with me and he's done, he, he'd been great. He's fought for me. He's, uh, he's our man. But, the Philistine leaders had a different take on this. They said that if this man truly is leading a double life, what if he turns on us in the midst of the battle? What if he turns on us? He will be at our backs, and this vicious man of war, this accomplished soldier, with his 600 mighty men are going to wreak havoc on us. And he will ingratiate himself to King Saul once again. He cannot be here. David is found out. And he is at least dismissed by the Philistine lords. How in the world was he going to get out of this jam? For it could well be that not only is he dismissed, but that the Philistines would take advantage of this situation and just get rid of him once and for all. How in the world will he get out of this? What will he do now? That's a place for us to pause and consider what happens when you compromise with the world, when you grant concessions in order to achieve some value that you think is, is important. But you compromise with what God says is the Christian life. Now, you probably haven't been tempted to join the Philistine army today or this week. Did the Philistines come and invite you to join their army well, no. And probably if that happened, you would say, get out of here. But David's predicament still speaks to us today. Because you probably are tempted 
to take matters into your own hands, to manage them so that that difficult situation that you envision might not ever come. So you reason to yourself. For example, you reason to yourself. I have to keep this job to provide for my family. And so my company is asking me to do some things that are kind of shady, things that are immoral. But I need to keep this job, so uh, I'll, I'll go along with it, and I'll, I won't participate in, uh, in everything, but I'll go along with it. Or you may reason to yourself. I'm lonely. And I, I like this girl. I love that guy. I know they aren't a Christian, but I know that surely they'll listen to me when we're married and they'll become a Christian someday. Or you reason, no one will be hurt if I view pornography. No one will know. It's just me. Such a little sin never hurt anybody. And so on. Begin to compromise reasoning away your knowledge of God's word and of what he calls you to, to achieve some goal that is often good. David was attempting to save his life. He was the anointed next king. He had to, he had to survive, right? And so he had to hide and he had to uh, deceive and he had to lead this double life so that he could accomplish what God had promised. Even saying that way, I, I hope you begin to, say, uh, to recognize, you know, something's wrong there. He had to accomplish what God promised. You have to accomplish what God promised. When you compromise, you begin to open the door to worldliness. You begin to make accommodations for sin in your life to achieve a good end. But the foundation that you're laying is one that is faulty and false and begins the path down this double life where you justify what you are doing more and more, all saying, you know, God is my savior, but I have to do this to accomplish that good. You might call this a, a holy pragmatism. But such a double life leads you into a situation like David here, where he is caught in that compromise. And he is pressed to the point where he is going to have trouble getting out of this. 
but God is still sovereign, which leads us to the second point of David's deliverance. God had been raising up David, and uh, though he is still a, a sinful man, he is God's man, and God will deliver him in this instant. And interestingly, he's going to use the Philistines to do it. So listen to what happens. So I've told how the Philistines assembled and uh, how David had deceived Achish, but that the Philistines' lords have a different take on what's going to happen. They see the possibilities of having an enemy at their back and how dangerous that would be. And there's, a, 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 there's, there's warning lights going off in the, uh, in the war rooms of the Philistines. You cannot have David back there. Get rid of him. And uh, uh, Achish says of David, not only has, has he done me no wrong, but he even goes and, and when he speaks to David, he, he says that, uh, uh, that you, you have been good to me. Which leads us to a consideration of what David answers to Achish. And it's an answer where there is a, uh, there are two possible ways of reading this. Let me describe it and then and think about these two possibilities. Achish goes and, and is, is apologetic to David. <laughs> David, uh, you've been good to me. You've been a great guy. You've been a faithful servant and soldier. I trust you. You've been like an angel of God to me. If we're up to me, I would let you go and fight against Saul. But it's not my decision. The Philistine lords have negated it, so you got to go. I'm sorry, David, but that's the way it is. To which David says, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done to, uh, to offend you? What have I done to betray you? What have I done that I cannot go and fight against the enemies of my lord? And here's where there is a possibility of two different things happening. The first is that David, being caught in this lie, says, well, the game is up. I've got to get out of here some way. And if I say to Achish, uh, okay, uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go home. I'll take my soldiers and go home. That people will suspect him, that they, they really know what's up. And if he gives in too easily, that his uh, duplicity is going to be found out. And so he makes this protestation to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm your man. I, I'm offended by this. Don't send me away. And, uh, but the Akish doesn't relent. He, he does send him away. So in this case, when David said, I want to fight against the enemies of my lord, the king, David was saying, I'm speaking to you, Achish, as my king. And Achish hears it that way. But here is 
another way it might be taken. David's word might have a double meaning. It could be that David's plan did in fact run deeper and that he was playing a very dangerous game and that he in fact did intend to do exactly what the Philistine lords suspected, that he would march out with Achish and then in the midst of the battle, he would turn against the Philistines. And the element of surprise and his tactical position would be just perfect. And he would turn the tide of the battle. And Saul would indeed welcome him back. He would have to welcome him back. David would be the hero once again. And in this case, his words could mean this. What have I done? I want to go fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. And Achish hears himself as the king, and David is meaning Saul as the king. And he's intending to fight against the enemies of Saul, the Philistines. I lean towards that second interpretation. Whichever the case, though, it is a very dangerous position for David. And in the end, Achish stood firm and he dismissed David from this battle, and David left the next morning. Whichever the case, God is the one who is at work. The Lord sovereignly acted to separate David out from this battle. And he used the Philistines to do it. The enemies. <laughs> There's a lesson in that. That God oftentimes uses unbelievers to accomplish his holy purposes. And that's something to meditate on. I'll make an application about that in just a moment. Before we get to that, let me thirdly go on to consider this portion of the narrative and, and some purposes of God that we can discern from it will help us in applying it to our own lives. Part of God's purpose was to bring about his judgment on Saul and on Israel. It's a thread that keeps running throughout this book. The people clamored for a king, but not the king that God intended. They wanted a king like the nations around them. You see, the children of Israel were double-minded as well, weren't they? Though they clung to the fact that they were God's chosen people, they longed to be like the nations around them the heathen nations around them. And so God granted them their request, though it was to their harm. There was discipline in what God did. He gave them for what they asked for so that they would see the beauty of the king that God intended and that they would long even more for the anticipated Messiah the King Jesus Christ. 
And so Saul becomes something of an anti-type. He becomes something of an example of the failures of this world to lead, to defend, to save. And when your faith is placed in Saul, it is a faulty faith. The Lord is bringing about a judgment on Saul for his sins, we looked at last week, and on Israel for their, their longing for that type of deliverance. So the Lord removes David from the situation as, so as to accomplish part of his purpose on a double-minded people. And for David, there is purpose too. I've called David double-minded in this. I've, I've, I've called him as, as compromising. And to be generous, I've also said that uh, all along that, that David maintains certain principles, even in this situation, he did not go and raid Israel. He went and he fought against the perennial enemies of God, the Amalekites. He could reason to himself, I'm doing God's will in this. But the way he went about it shows the compromise that was taking place. Remember back to David fighting against Goliath. As he ran towards this Philistine from Gath, as he ran towards the champion of the, of the Philistines, he said, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you with, with the name of the Lord our God, and in his name I will conquer you. But now David fears for his life. He doubts his promise. And he compromises. He compromised in favor of his own uh, sense of seeking safety, compromised in his own sense of, uh, of ability and cunning and military tactic. It's a, it's a brilliant plot, if this is what, uh, what he was plotting. But it centered around his ability to pull it off. You don't hear him speaking of God directing him, of counseling him. There's, there's nothing of, of him crying out to the Lord for deliverance. Instead, back in chapter 27, he reasoned, Saul's eventually going to catch up with me. And instead of crying out to God for deliverance, he begins to take matters into his own hands. He figured he could save his own hide. He figured he could turn the tide of the battle. He figured he could deliver Israel all in his own might. And it's true that God had called David to literally fight and equipped him to do so. But the battle and the victory always belonged to the Lord. David lost sight of that. And in case you wonder about this compromise, the, uh, the lies that he tells to Achish to, uh, are, are given to confirm that. So 
God separated David out for another purpose, for David's purpose. It would be so that the outcome of the battle would be the Lord's. And to extricate David from the Philistines, from this, uh, this difficult position that his compromise had brought him into. At the end of the day, David was once more being taught, you cannot lead a double life. You cannot compromise. You cannot, you cannot make friends with the enemy this way. You cannot compromise with the world. In that light, I want to make two applications for us today. I've already begun down this road in saying uh, that there are many times that you may be tempted to join the Philistines, so to speak, to compromise with the world. In an application, like David, you may find yourself in a position today where you have opened the door to sin in your life. Maybe that you have compromised and compromised again and then lied and then covered it up until you are in so deep that you have no idea how you're going to get out of this. Are you leading a double life? Are you hiding that sin from everybody around you, lest your world crumble? You cannot lead a double life. It will surely be found out eventually. It will surely be found out. Over and over again, history confirms this. And you know it. You cannot lead a double life. But there is a way of escape. In fact, Paul says that very thing in 1 Corinthians 10. That the Lord... God knows. Uh, you may hide it from everyone around you, but you've never hid it from God, and you will never be able to do that. But the Lord knows the temptation that you face. And Christ, who is a sympathetic mediator for us, knows those temptations because he's gone through them as well. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the Lord is faithful to provide a way of escape that you may bear up under it. So, if you have been dabbling with sin, maybe even more than that, maybe you are entangled in sin and you're hiding that, Today's a day to escape that. And you do that by going to Christ, who is merciful and who is faithful to forgive. He can and does forgive you 
as you come to him in repentance. And so cut ties with that compromise. Cut ties with that lie. Cut ties with that double life. Repent of that sin. And in God's mercy, you will find that there is a hiding place for real. Instead of hiding your sins with lies, repent, confess, and you'll find that there is is true freedom. Freedom from sin and its bondage and its punishment. Secondly, it can be helpfully applied in that area of compromise, of dabbling with sin. All too often, as Christians, we reason that to survive in the world, we need to blend in. I'm afraid that this may be part of a rationale that grows in a more and more hostile culture, that to survive in the world, we have to blend in. We need to tone down our lives and our words so that so that uh, we can avoid the difficulties that come from being a Christian so that our witness may be preserved. In fact, I have read books on evangelism and on witnessing to the world that even suggest this. For the gospel to be accepted, we need to make it more palatable to the world. We need to be more like the world. That way we won't offend. That way someone will listen to us. And it is true that it is important to understand the world. It's to understand the world in which you live, the values that are there, how to witness it. It is true that we are to live well with all people. But don't look to David for your example for this. David wasn't living well and honestly with the Philistines. He was deceiving them. He was living like them. And his compromise made himself out to be more and more as wicked as the Philistines. God forbid that he would carry that out, marching into war against God's covenant people, making him an enemy of God. That's the way compromise goes. But light and dark don't mix, do they? If you compromise with the world, your witness withers. Even the Philistine lords knew this. What are the Hebrews doing here? That's David. Oh, that we would live such lives in this world that the the lords of the Philistines would say, here are Christians. What are they doing here? And though they slander you for your good works, The gospel light shines forth. You cannot compromise with the world. Otherwise, the light is under a basket. Or as I read earlier, the salt loses its savor. What does salt do? Well, it provides flavor and it provides preservation. 
And the world knows that, and they can identify that, and in fact, they are secretly longing for that, though they rage against the Christians. They are longing for the truth that is proclaimed in the gospel. And yet they miss it because they have cut themselves off from God. The gospel sets it right. It sets all of life right in its relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin. He is our Savior and Lord. And when you're right with him, then all good things of this life fall into their proper place. There's satisfaction and flavor. But isn't it ironic you might think to yourself that you can make the gospel more appealing by compromising with the world. You can make it more meaningful. You can accomplish the purpose of God by changing the message yourself. But all you're doing is watering down the gospel. You cannot lead a double life. You can't. You cannot compromise with the world. If salt loses its savor, it's worthless. Jesus said that if this happens, the salt is only worthy of being thrown out to be trampled underfoot. Salt must be salty. The light must be light. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. Are you leading a double life? If you are, there's escape. That escape is in Jesus. No matter the consequences in this world, escape to him. You will find freedom and forgiveness and love and mercy. That's worth it. It's worth everything. You cannot compromise with the world. That first step of compromise is a step that will lead you further and further down that step to slavery, to sin, to trying to be a person with a foot in both sides of the world, of light and dark. There is no compromise. God extricated David out of that so that we may know that there is no compromise, no compromise with the world. Let's pray. Lord, deliver us from our own foolishness. Deliver us from our love of the world and our desire to gain its approval. Forgive us for our compromises. But Lord, you are our light and saving strength. Of whom am I afraid? Lord, you are my salvation. There is nothing that the world can do to take that away. I pray, O oh God, that as we live in this world, that those tempting compromises would be seen in the light of your word. That our love for you 
would lead us to flee any type of, uh, of bondage to sin, any type of compromise. God, I do earnestly pray that if there is uh, anyone today convicted of that attempt to hide their sin, that you would unmask that, that you would cause them to flee to the only Redeemer, to Jesus, in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing Psalm 57b. In the psalm that we've been singing, or that is our, our psalm of the month, we profess our faith. My heart is firm. My, my heart is firm, O God. We ask the Lord to strengthen our faith, even though the enemies stretch out nets to entangle us. Let's stand and sing Psalm 57b.